Beyond the four walls of our local church building is the church, the universal body of Christ, a vibrant living organism. It's eclectic, it's bold, it's colourful and it's resilient. A cacophony of languages, sounds, people and practices where every voice comes together to tell the story of God throughout the centuries. I'm your host, Jordan, from Open Doors, and together we'll hear from people from all over the global church and meet believers who follow Jesus in some of the most dangerous places to be a Christian. In the face of tremendous pressure, God is moving. This is The Whole Story. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Whole Story. This month I sat down with Ellie and Tim Lloyd who have just had an epic adventure around the world. Now I know Ellie pretty well. Uh, we, We have worked together at Open Doors for nearly three years and we've got to travel together to Egypt and meet the persecuted church together and uh, we've had some epic adventures together. So um, I love Ellie and I love her husband, Tim, so much. They're incredible people. Um, And they've just kind of had front row seats to the global church uh, over this past year in places that many of us will never go. And I really loved hearing them process it all in this conversation and kind of see it all through their eyes. Um, So they started in France, then they went to Central Asia, and then finally they were helping their aid and rebuilding effort in Hatay, Turkey after the earthquake. And this conversation was much more than I expected it to be. And I had high expectations because I know Ellie and she's an incredible person with some amazing stories. But um, man, this really uh, was such a powerful conversation. And I think the thing that blew me away most was the miracle stories coming out of the countries that they visited. I honestly left the conversation so inspired. um, And I was reminded that God is moving in some very profound ways in corners of the world that maybe we don't always see, you know, behind the headlines of war and natural disasters and dictatorships, God's really changing hearts and he's bringing people to himself. So I know that you'll find this conversation as encouraging as I did. Um, I'm excited for you to hear it. Let's jump right in. And Tim, tell me, uh, us, the listeners, tell us all a little bit about you. How long have you guys been married? Where do you live? And what does your day-to-day look like? Yeah, um, well, firstly, thanks for having us, Jordan. It's so fun to be on here with you today. Um, But yeah, my name is Ali and I'm 27 years old. uh, And I'm obviously here with Tim, my husband, who's 28 years old. And we've been married for... Gosh, nearly three years now, which is crazy how time flies. Um, yeah, so Tim, he's a qualified civil engineer who's been working as a project manager for the last five or so years. Um, and I've been here with Open Doors for the last four years, working in mainly the church team, uh, working here in Australia. Um, I also just recently finished my double degree in international aid and sustainable development and Uh, You'll hear a little bit about what we've been up to this year, but we both really love this year getting to use our different degrees in a totally new context overseas. Um, So that's been, that's just been such a gift getting to put it into practice somewhere else. Um, But for us at the moment, Bendigo Victoria is home 
our families here, a lot of our friends and our community. And yeah, we just, we love this little corner of country Victoria. Um, when we're not working or busy with the normal things of life, our day-to-day probably looks pretty people-oriented. We just, we love being social in our community, especially our church community we love. So that is definitely a gift for us. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, you guys are probably the most social people I know <laughs> and just so devoted to uh, loving people and uh, you do it so well. Um, I've had the privilege of traveling to Egypt with Ellie and watching Ellie um, with the people in Egypt, just meeting our persecuted family there was so beautiful. I'm so grateful for that time we got to spend together, Ellie. Um, And that was in last September. But then in December, you guys set off on a huge adventure of your own into the unknown. Uh, Where did you guys go and how did it all kind of come come about? Yeah, so as Ellie said, last year we were both working full time and it was probably uh, July last year that we kind of really decided that maybe there would be something different for the next year, but it all happened so quickly. So uh, after we decided to seek the Lord uh, for about a week, we we felt like God was calling us to do missions overseas, but we just had no idea what that would look like. Uh, And then after we decided to become obedient, I guess, God was really uh, kind and clear in directing us to go to YWAM Paris. And so we did. We booked our flights, got our visas sorted, and somehow managed to get uh, our lives into do two backpacks. I did a bit better than Ali. Ali struggled a little bit with that. <laughs> but we eventually did and we ended up, uh, yeah, going to do a DTS, a discipleship training school uh, with YWAM Paris in France. Uh, and then from there, it was very unknown for us. We had one-way tickets and we just decided that uh, we would see what God had in store for us afterwards. And then he was very uh, clear in directing us to Turkey after the DTS finished. Um, so, yeah, that was it. We were away for about uh, eight or nine months in the end. And, yeah, we just had the best time. It was it was such a good time. Wow, I love your boldness of just um, one-way ticket. We're just going to go and then wherever God wants to lead us, um, we're just going to go and see what doors open. Um, I mean, but... When you guys first told me you were going to Paris, I was a little bit confused and maybe our listeners will be confused too because France is a Western country. It's been regarded as largely Christian uh, or at least a nation with a Christian history. So what was your experience like in France? Um, Did it surprise you at all? Yeah, I think there were definitely elements that surprised us, but also not at the same time. I think kind of similarly to our own nation, Australia, that too was founded on Christian values and has largely through history been regarded as a Christian nation. I think we would agree that the secularization of our country, of France, of most Western nations through the last few decades has led to largely held agnostic beliefs. And so this kind of didn't come as too much of a surprise to us that, but it definitely grieved our hearts. Um, I remember we had some moments sharing the gospel with individuals who really didn't want anything to do with God. And we were having these conversations 
standing next to these beautiful old churches that now stood as new tourist attractions. And it definitely held a stark contrast in our hearts of, you know, these beautiful buildings that would have once been filled with believers, like coming to worship God. Um, and now that same country, that same population was almost to the other extreme. But probably at the same time, what surprised me more was the conversations we had with people who were hungry to hear more about God and hear that there was something greater than maybe what they'd experienced in their own life. And um, I guess in some of our interactions with people on the streets, we came across a number of individuals who had actually never heard the gospel before. And I think that was really the greatest surprise in a country that most of us would consider, like you said, is Christian or uh, should kind of hold those beliefs. And I remember like one afternoon I was, I walked into a laundromat right near Sacre-Cœur, which is a really beautiful, world-renowned church in, in Paris. And I got talking to this 21-year-old girl who was from France. And as we were talking and I started sharing the gospel with her, she shared that the only thing she knew about Jesus was that he was born at Christmas time but she knew nothing about his life. And when she asked if I could share a bit more about it with her and she heard the gospel, she was so amazed that that was what Christianity was really all about. And she said she had no idea that Christians simply just want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And it just gave her totally different insight into, I guess, what maybe the world or media or things portray of what Christianity is. And I think that was the most surprising and amazing part to me was that this part of the world that most of us in the church would consider as saturated with the gospel has now become a necessary mission field where people have literally never heard the gospel before. And with the many immigrants that continue to pour into this beautiful nation, um, especially immigrants from closed nations, I guess this is only going to continue to increase. So yeah, it was definitely an interesting and really surprising experience. Wow. A church on almost every corner, these ancient, yeah. beautiful churches, and yet the people walking by them may have never actually heard the gospel um, that built those churches or that you would hope had built those churches. That is mind-blowing. Um, wow. And what a what a unique experience of France as a nation and Paris. Um, and then from France, you went to a country in Central Asia, which we can't name for security reasons. Um, but Central Asia is kind of wedged in there between Russia, Asia and the Middle East. So it's like this melting pot of influences. It's got um, Russian influences, Asian influences, um, and then Islamic Middle Eastern influences. So listeners might know the Central Asian countries as the stands. Um, I've heard them referred to that before. Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Azerbaijan, which technically isn't a stand, but, um, but, but, Azerbaijan has been over the news uh, over the past two months, uh, along with a handful of other nations. And many of the countries in Central Asia are on the world watch list um, because of this blend of communism from Russia and Asia and then the Islamic influence um, from Turkey and then the Middle East that all kind of combines in Central Asia. 
such a unique part of the world. Can you tell us a little bit about Central Asia and some of your observations from the country that you guys were in? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Central Asia, uh, for me at least, and I know for maybe Ali, was not a place that we'd spend a lot of time. Um, So just by first going there and uh, I guess gaining the cultural experience and meeting with the people and understanding what they believe and how their countries are run was super eye-opening and really, I guess, filled in uh, the gaps for me with why they believe what they believe. Uh, So it was, yeah, it was a really great experience. Um, But we, I was just so amazed of how much of a beautiful country uh, we were in. And it was just amazing meeting uh, these beautiful families, uh, even amidst like, you know, political turmoil that we know that their countries are experiencing. But it was just really great meeting the the normal people that were living there and uh, and being, being able to share life with them in a sense because we were able to be there for um, a good amount of time. Uh, some things that we did observe was that our life seemed really comfortable and normal Uh, on the surface. And as soon as you dug a little deeper, you really did find that there was actually a lot of anxiety hidden underneath. And we had um, multiple conversations with people where, you know, just on on surface level, everything was going great. You would ask them even about the country and, and things just seemed like it was going really well. But as we developed relationships with people, it just became really clear that uh, there was something deeper that was happening underneath and they were actually filled with anxiety and they were just, yeah, scared, scared of war, unsure about potentially what could happen, you know, in a day or two's notice. Like, And, and that was really eye-opening for, for me personally because I'm sitting here in Australia, you know, feeling safe. We've got, we know we can wake up the next day and everything's going to be okay but but for them, it just wasn't like that. Even though when we walked through this particular city, it just seemed like everything was under control. But as soon as we really started these conversations, it just became clear that the people were quite aware that actually, no, like our country is is really struggling. And mm. um, so, yeah, it was just it was really eye opening and it was it was kind of hard for us to comprehend what that truly would feel like living day to day. But it did lead us to many amazing conversations because through the kind of fear and anxiety that people were experiencing, we were actually able to uh, explain, uh, you know, our relationship with faith and and they were so uh, amazed by that and how it was actually quite different with their relationship with faith being quite a nominal uh, Muslim uh, or having a nominal Muslim background, they actually didn't quite understand the relationship with faith. It was more a rules-based thinking as opposed to this faith that could actually bring them peace in such um, yeah, trying times for their country. Mm. I think also one thing we notice, as Tim just mentioned then, is like religion was very present. Everyone would say that they're Muslims, but it was super nominal. Like no one really practiced um, like going to 
Islamic services or wearing the attire. Um, it was it was very nominal. Um, and when you would ask most of the people in this country about, you know, where they're at with their faith and um, what if they practice anything in their faith, you often found out that most of them had never even read the Quran, which I found like super interesting. Um, but they were, as Tim said, they were so open to the gospel. I think though it's so interesting because in this particular country we were in, they were so communistic in nature and in practice, but they were very Islamic in faith. So it was definitely, like you said, that melting pot of experiences um, of so many immigrants from different countries and so many ways of living. Uh, but yeah, everything on the surface looked great, but beneath the surface, you could tell there was a lot going on. Wow. Just a reminder to, to kind of dig a little deeper, hey, and, and, I mean, I personally um, struggle to to empathise with that ambient anxiety that people would be Um, feeling of just being worried about war all the time. It's such a such a um, all-encompassing fear, but then you have to engage with the day-to-day realities of grocery shopping and taking your kids to school. Um, so it's not something you can necessarily dwell on, but it just sits there below the surface. And um, what a beautiful um, uh, relationship and connection you guys got to have with people to be that balm of peace, um, that even though we may not experience peace necessarily, um, perfect peace uh, in this life, we have a friend uh, who walks with us through it um, and he, he is peace. I mean, like many of the Central Asian nations, the country that you guys were in has quite a sophisticated dictatorship, which I'm sure adds to that ambient anxiety, uh, where religious freedom is constitutional, but the lived reality is very different. It's a different story. What did your day-to-day life look like in Central Asia and what would it be like for Christians living in that nation? Yeah, that is a great question. I feel like the lived experience for believers in this part of the world can be a pretty tricky one to navigate. Um, So while we were there, we were in like volunteering in an English language school for a month. And this particular language school that we were in, all of the teachers were Christians, um, but were quite secretive about their faith. And they would use this particular space to be present in the community, um, to be having a positive influence on the students and ultimately building friendships in order to share the gospel with them. It was such a beautiful way of connecting in a really difficult environment. And these teachers, they would often gather quietly before classes to pray for their students that they would come to know God. It was it was so precious. Um, and like you said, although technically in this particular country we were in, you can be a Christian, the ability to practice that faith is illegal. <laughs> um, and it's just wild. These beautiful believers were Christians and were finding ways to do it in a somewhat legal way, um, but also secretive. But in this country we were in, it's illegal to share the gospel, um, illegal to gather for worship in homes illegal for nationals to run any sort of church and illegal to lead children to Christ. So to be able to practice your faith was next to impossible. Although as a country, they would say, yeah, we welcome Christians or you can be a Christian. Um, And for many Christians in this 
country, they had to walk, I noticed, with a level of wisdom and caution. But at the same time, you could hear from their heart that they were all so willing to take extraordinary risks to see people come to Jesus if they had to. And I just thought that that was such a wild and beautiful tension to live in of saying, okay, I want to make the most of what I'm doing here count. And so I'm going to steward this with wisdom. But at the same time, if there's some costs I have to make, I'm I'm willing to do that. And yeah, I just, I know, I feel like we just so admired like walking with some of these particular believers and seeing the way that they live it out Mm -hmm. in a really sustainable approach to be able to remain in a country that's so closed. Um, whilst we were in Central Asia, actually one of the students in the English class I was helping with was an elderly Korean woman. And she'd been living in Central Asia for over three decades as a missionary, I later found out. Uh, So her and her husband were in a different uh, country in Central Asia and had been missionaries there for, I think it was over 23 years when the government finally caught on to what they were doing and kicked them out of the country. Um, And after they were kicked out, they went back to Korea and were praying, what are we meant to do next? And they just felt the Lord saying, go back to Central Asia. So they moved to a different part of Central Asia and have begun all over again, learning the language and meeting people um, just in a different part of the same region. And she was explaining that in the few years that she had been in this country we were in now, that she'd been followed by the police multiple times and every single day just had to be careful uh, where she was seen, having conversations with and uh, just navigating, meeting with people. And I just think the believers living and ministering in this region, they're so phenomenal in how they manage that tension of wisdom, but also being bold in their pursuit of seeing the kingdom of God grow. It is, it's wild to be able to witness. Wow. Talk about being dedicated to living as the light in a place like that. I mean, they know the cost of it. Um, you know, they're, they're as uh, innocent as doves, but as shrewd as serpents. Um, you know, that that idea of being tactical and um, being able to stay as long as you can in a space, but also counting the cost. I mean, every time they step out, um, they're counting a cost. And that, yeah, it's just, it's really inspiring. Um, and yeah, would no doubt have left a huge mark and impact on your faith. Um, yeah, I mean, from what you experienced during your time in Central Asia, what what did you see God doing? I mean, there's these English teachers that are, um, you know, praying for their their students and these, the, you know, this beautiful story of that Korean um, missionary. What, what do you see God doing kind of on a bigger scale, like on a meta level um, uh, in within Central Asia, within the nation you guys were in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this question. Um, Jesus is doing so much in Central Asia. This was probably one of the favorite places for me that we went throughout this year. Um, And it honestly just makes my heart burst thinking about what's happening in this particular country. Um, Yeah, as we were saying, so many people there have never heard the gospel, yet it's incredible to see all the ways Jesus is continuing to reveal himself whether it's through dreams and visions, through 
encounters or simply just through evangelism where possible. It's so amazing. Um, I think on a big scale, we got to meet some, um, yeah, people who are doing mission work in the country and just hearing their testimonies of seeing people come to the Lord and being baptized in village communities in this region was just so, it's so encouraging to hear in a country where, yeah, there's just so much opposition and so many difficulties standing in the way. Yet, as we know, as any listeners would know from hearing anything from Open Doors, when there's opposition, it's it's kind of like, I just, the Lord sees it as such a fun challenge of like, okay, we're just going to push down that wall and just see the gospel continue to flood, which is beautiful. Um, I think for us, we were only there for a month, but seeing the fruit that happened in that month, I feel like is such a glimpse of what's happening on a broader scale in this country. Like, for example, one afternoon, Tim and I and some of our friends we were traveling with, we were slacklining near the beach. And this was like an off day. We were just, you know, resting for a little bit. And these two girls from Azerbaijan who spoke perfect English came up to us and wanted to give it a try. That is so like you guys, just for our listeners. That is so like them to just take a slack line and on their day off. Um, that's so funny. I can imagine you guys doing that. <laughs> yeah, so good. That actually became like the best evangelism tool yeah, the whole year. It. it was amazing. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, and these two girls, through slack lining, we became good friends with them and just like built up a beautiful friendship. And throughout the rest of the month, I had multiple catch-ups with these girls and just got to build friendships with them. But I remember one afternoon, I was sitting down with these two girls and they asked me to explain what it really was that I believed because we've been talking a bit about faith. So I shared the whole gospel with them. They were just like hanging on every word. It was so powerful. And at the end of it, both with tears in their eyes, they shared how they had just never heard a story so beautiful before. And they continued talking about and reflecting about what I had said around Jesus dying on the cross and sacrificing himself for us so we can be set free. And they just said that they'd never heard anything so powerful and that Jesus simply being a prophet in their religion and their faith they had just never heard anything about Jesus in this way. And they were like, they were just so touched. And both of these girls come from strong Islamic families. They were practicing Ramadan at the time. But after hearing the gospel, I could just see their hearts softening so much to what it really is that Christians are about, what Jesus is about, what the gospel is all about. And that day they both downloaded the Bible on their phones um, and I'm still staying in touch with them and they're still reading it today. And they haven't come to salvation yet, but whenever they come to mind, I just pray that that salvation will follow for them quickly as they've encountered the gospel and the message of who he is. And I just feel like that one moment, as well as actually a number of conversations we had with people there was, like I said, such a taste of how hungry this region is for Jesus. Um, And I'm really, one thing I continue to pray is that for even us in the West, that people would feel called to these nations and just have really solid places to land because there's such, that's actually way more open than what we call closed nations. And I'm sure parts of the 1040 window, it looks different, but where we were, 
like it was way open than I could have ever imagined. Um, yeah, it is. Oh, it's just so encouraging to hear and so encouraging to see and experience with our eyes. But yeah, I just, if anyone is even listening to this and they're just feeling called to those kind of countries, I would just say pray, pray and really consider because those nations really need the church at this time. Yeah. That is so profound. Their reaction to hearing the gospel is mind blowing. Um, it's like this beautiful, profound joy that only the Holy Spirit can give of, wow, this is the most beautiful story ever. Um, this love is profound. Um, and yet they receive it with much affliction because the cost of following him is so great. Um, but honestly, it's so encouraging to hear that because I think, you know, um, when you share the gospel here in Australia, a lot of people have heard it and maybe they have negative connotations associated with it um, or the words have just become kind of numb, like less powerful. And so it can be, it can sometimes feel like um, maybe the gospel isn't necessarily good news. Um, but when you hear that and hear that story of those girls um, and just that D- divine appointment really of of being able to meet with them on a slack line and then um get to, to just to, to keep loving them and showing up and sharing um Jesus with them that they received it with joy and that 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 it was good news to them is actually so encouraging um and just a reminder I guess of the goodness of it um and and of that love so profound you guys <laughs> Um, wow. I wish I, I would love to stay on Central Asia actually for the whole rest of the podcast, but, but from Central Asia, you actually went to Turkey to Hatay, which was one of the hardest hit areas by the earthquake in February. What was it like seeing that earthquake devastation for the first time? I mean, obviously you'd seen it, um, on the news, uh, and you were aware of it. Um, but what was it like actually seeing it in person? Yeah, it's it was such a surreal experience. I mean, it's it's one thing, as you said, to see it on the news and to, you know, look at the videos and hear people's stories. But when you're actually there and you can just, I guess, like take it all in, not only with your our eyes, but also by hearing people's personal stories, it just it really hit home, especially for me. I know I've never seen devastation like that. Uh, just in such a small space, it was just like really chaotic. And we we actually were there four or five months after the earthquake had hit. So I could only imagine what it was like, mm. you know, a week after or even a couple of days after, mm. like it, it, just the amount of rubble that we saw just still like piled up was, was phenomenal. And just having this realisation that, you know, they've already been working on this for five months. Just imagine how much longer they're going to be working on just clearing the rubble to get it cleared. And so I think for me, there was a moment where I just initially uh, arrived and we were, I was getting driven by one of the local guys and we were just driving past piles of rubble and he would just tell me that, you know, there was apartments that just pancake collapsed and, you know, 30 or 40 people at a time, you know, died in that one and then he'd point to another one and he'd tell me that, you know, 30 or 40 people had died in, in that particular apartment 
and just on and on and on. And mm. and it really was very sobering. Like, mm. you know, and the other thing was it wasn't just him telling me of these about these random people. He actually knew these people, you know, there was tears in his eyes as he would explain, you know, who had lost their lives because because of the culture there, they're so family orientated. All the families stick together. They everyone knows everyone. So yeah, it was it's very hard to, to comprehend and articulate what it was actually like being there. Mm. But honestly, just through hearing the the stories of people and getting to have you know, chai and Turkish coffee with the people and hearing their stories, that's when I guess it really hit home about, you know, what the devastation was actually like. Um, so just to put it in perspective, just to give some numbers, um, because I know that that can kind of help me, but 70,000 people died, they, they estimate roughly at the time of the earthquake, and over 200,000 people were regarded as, uh, like not accounted for, um, and I mean that probably doesn't even consider the people coming from from Syria that were affected, uh, and then over a hundred thousand homes were destroyed. So it kind of just gives you this snapshot of like what one minute of trembling uh, can do, um, and just you know have this long lasting effect. They reckon it'll be, you know. 10, 15, 20 years before the city can kind of even think about getting back to normal. Mm. <laughs> so it was it was quite uh, an experience and but very humbling to meet those people there. Mm. Oh my gosh, yeah, it just puts it, it puts the humanity into the headline. you know you've got the headline of earthquake in Turkey and Syria, this many people killed. Then when you're driving through those streets and you're seeing this was an apartment block um, and you're hearing the person who lives there talk about what used to be there and the people that he knows that he lost there, that's um, that's really awful. Uh, I mean, you guys, you mentioned that you were driving through the streets and, and sitting and chatting with people um, and hearing their stories. What were you guys actually doing in Turkey? What was your main job um, there? Yep. So initially we went uh, with YWAM for a couple of weeks and YWAM was helping provide uh, volunteers, uh, you know, in two or three week blocks to organisations that had uh, settled uh, in Turkey. And so initially for us, it was just getting our hands dirty and, uh, you know, serving in in the kitchen, the organisation we were a part of, were making up to a thousand meals a day for just the local people in that area who were living in tents um, and pretty much just on the street still. Um, so lunch and dinner was getting provided. So we would uh, help in the kitchen. Ali was uh, mostly helping at base, but I was actually uh, building these settlement camps um, for people that had lost their homes that were waiting for their homes to actually get be built because obviously the process of building a home is going to take a very, very long time. So we would set up these temporary uh, community hubs, as you would like, and uh, for these uh, tent structures that they could live in and that they would have AC. Yeah, it was kind of like a container. 
which, you know, to us looks really basic, but to them, when we saw people, you know, actually inherit some of these things, it was just amazing the kind of um, joy and thankfulness that they had. So that was a little bit of um, what we were doing. We were also uh, just building relationships with the people. That was honestly one of the most important things that we could do because obviously rebuilding physically is one thing, but rebuilding them um, just mentally and spiritually was another really big important thing. And because of the trauma that they'd experienced, they were just craving conversation with people. And like we would spend hours playing with the kids at base and just seeing the the joy that they would have with these people that they had no idea who they were or where they came from. They were just so overjoyed in being able to like share in relationship. Mm. And so to paint the picture of that, we were, uh, yeah, in April we were there for three weeks and then we felt the Lord telling us to go back for a longer season. And so in July we went back for almost two months. Um, but we were living in this giant wedding hall with, uh, it was about four different organisations there all working together um, at times we'd have up to 60 volunteers, a lot short term. Um, there was probably a group of 20 people that were there more long term. So doing a longer stint like us and from like all corners of the earth, like so many South Americans there, um, Italians, Brazilians, Russians, like literally all corners of the earth that are believers coming together to serve this community and that was honestly such a beautiful thing to just see the body of Christ working together to serve the Turkish community in just the most simple and practical ways. Wow, that is so beautiful. Um, it really is just taking it seriously, being the hands and the feet of Jesus and just being present. Um, it, it makes me think of in um, Genesis, I think it's chapter 16, where um, Hagar is out in the wilderness um, and she is pregnant with Abraham's uh, son. Um, and she's out there and she doesn't know what to do. And she's just been, uh, she's just fled the home because she's not being treated very well. And she's out there in the wilderness. And then um, the first ever encounter with a, 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 the, a theophany of God in the wilderness um, is with Hagar. She's a, she's a, um, what we would now call an Arab woman. Um, and she's out there in the, in the wilderness and this theophany, this appearance of the likeness of God comes to her and um, he, he calls her by name and he speaks to her and her response is, um, uh, I will call him uh, her son Ishmael because he, he hears me and then he says, she says, um, I've now seen the God who sees me, Elroy, the God who sees me. And it's just this uh, incredible um, reminder, I guess, of God's heart for um, the Arab people. And then obviously Ishmael then goes on to become the father uh, eventually um, down the line of um, the, the prophet Muhammad. Um, and the, the history of uh, of Islam is birthed from Hagar, um, who has this encounter with God where she's just so touched that God sees her. And I just can't help but think that that's what God is still doing um, in the Middle East with uh, 
you know, the, the, the sons and, and, and daughters of Hagar and Ishmael, um, that he keeps encountering them as the one who sees me. And uh, when you were sharing before about how overjoyed they were just to have this basic container um, with, with some air conditioning and a, and a place to sleep that felt safe, um, they're just so touched that they're seen. Um, and what a profound way to share to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to continue to show them that um, that the, the body of Christ sees them um, and is with them in their pain and will get, continue to, to keep loving them uh, through their pain. It's just really profound and really encouraging. Um, and you talked about the this huge rebuilding effort. Um, it's going to take a really long time. Many of our listeners have actually supported the rebuilding efforts um, uh, through Centres of Hope and They've been following the situation quite closely. I actually had um, a local partner, Layla, join us on the podcast from Aleppo, Syria, uh, right as the earthquake had happened. It was absolutely horrendous and devastating to really see that earthquake and the destruction and to hear some of the stories coming from that region. How has that rebuilding process been going? Um, like the picture you're painting of devastation on such a huge scale, what's the general mood in Hatay? Yeah, you're right. The the rebuilding process naturally, as you can imagine, is quite slow. Obviously, with the just the scale of uh, how severe the earthquake was, um, you know, immediate relief was the first thing that the people needed uh, and just, you know, the basics like food and water, but then also the clearing of the rubble, um, that type of thing, just, just to kind of, uh, you know, start to see a way forward. And then, and I think they've, you know, from what we saw, they've kind of entered that next phase where it's more about the rebuilding and, and how can we, you know, physically rebuild? How can we also, you know, from a from a faith perspective as well, how can we, um, I guess, rebuild and support these people uh, just in their mental and mental health and also uh, their, their faith? Like how can we start to rebuild that process and journey with the people? Um, so in terms of the physical kind of rebuilding there, as we said, starting to get people out of tents uh, because we're approaching the the summer where it's really hot and um, and actually moving people into, you know, air-conditioned units and also units that can cope with the severe winter as well and the rain. So that's kind of where they're at uh, at the moment. Um, yeah. I mean, it is, it is just a huge effort with the scale of the devastation and um yeah very grateful for those who supported that um uh that that relief effort because it's going to continue to be a problem as you mentioned um not just this year but for um years and years to come to continue to rebuild um because it is just a it's just a a brick on brick (laughs) um slow process and the backdrop to all of this devastation is the politics of Turkey. I mean, Turkey is a strongly nationalistic country and nationalism is deeply interwoven 
uh, with Islam and that the leadership of the country, Erdogan and his party, promote a very conservative Islamic agenda. Um, in short, to be Turkish is to be a Muslim. So this is one of the primary reasons why Turkey is number 41 on the world watch list and is one of the most challenging nations in the world to follow Jesus. How do people living in a place like Hatay or other badly affected regions of Turkey stay hopeful in the face of losing their homes and livelihoods and their loved ones? Yeah, to be honest, um, yeah, this question, it's, it's a hard one in the sense that <laughs> it was a hard journey, I think, to process with the individuals um, and to see and to, to understand and grapple with as they just went through probably one of the most awful situations in their life. Um, yeah, conversations with locals was were really hard. Uh, I found myself often after hearing someone's story, trying to hold myself together until I was removed from them and then getting quite emotional hearing them process their loss and their trauma and what they'd experienced. And you'd see people like locals who would come every day and they'd be joyful and happy one day and the next come in and yeah, just be again processing and this grief is continuing to come up. And it was definitely a roller coaster, as we all know, grief is um, and was it in one sense, such a privilege to be able to ride this roller coaster with them. Uh, but like you were saying, to be Turkish is to be Muslim. And so for most of the Turkish community, they are Muslim. And I guess with that, their response to what they had experienced with the earthquake was very different. Um, you would quite often hear the Turkish people throwing around this this phrase, inshallah, which is Arabic for God willing. Um, and in this context, they were often using it to be kind of saying, well, God allowed this suffering to happen, so we just have to live with it. And it's this, sadly, um, Muslim attitude that everything in life happens is because God allows it. And so even if it's suffering, even if it's pain, God must have been using this to teach us a lesson. And it was so heartbreaking to hear such a tragic heart position for so many of these locals that are living in so much pain because not only would it feel like life is against them in just a natural disaster happening pretty much out of anyone's control, um, but it also for them would have felt like God is against them. And I just couldn't even begin to comprehend that coming from knowing our Jesus, knowing the one true God as one who never brings death, but comes to bring life. And mm -hmm. I think this message of hope came through as there were opportunities to share about Jesus. And you can see it was profound in touching that place of brokenness, um, sharing especially that scripture that the enemy is the one who comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus comes to bring life and life abundantly you could see that when you shared it, it was like a fresh wind on a hot day for some of these locals to to just feel that deep feeling of hope in a hopeless feeling situation, I think was really profound. I still remember um, actually hearing a recent convert who had come to Jesus after the earthquake happened reflect 
that when the earthquake hit, he said the government didn't help us, as we know. So it's a bit hard there at the, the moment. And he said our Muslim brothers didn't help us, but the Christians were there and they helped us. And I think that is just such a huge testament that for the locals who were experiencing the pain and were struggling to see the help and support where they were probably thought to look to, it actually came from a totally different direction. And yes, yeah, so many in the this area, they are coming to Jesus. And it's, it's honestly, I think, because of the faith and hope that you can encounter in the gospel that in so many other faiths or, or just situations, it can be hard to find that connection in times of deep pain and trauma. And I think the most beautiful part we know about the message of Jesus is that he is a God that raises the dead, that he brings dead things to life and beauty from ashes, joy from mourning, praise for heaviness. And it was beautiful to see that truth touching people's lives in a time that maybe they just couldn't see that hope in the midst of such darkness. That is blowing my mind that a recent convert in Turkey said that the government wasn't there. Our Muslim brothers and sisters weren't there, but the Christians were there and that that was a testimony to his heart of the 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 power I guess of the love of of Jesus and how transformative that is and it just speaks to you know so I, I I get to chat with a lot of people um, about the persecuted church and they ask they could leave like why do they stay and risk being persecuted um, why would they stay in a place like Turkey that's number forty one on the world watch list um, when they could go somewhere where it's safe and free to follow Jesus like Australia or um, New Zealand or America. Um, but that right there, I feel like is the heart of why people stay. Um, it's because when they stay, they have the testimony, the, the, the reflection of the love and the, the power and the love of Jesus, um, in that place so that when people see them, they see Christ. Um, and that is just such a powerful, wow, that I, the listeners couldn't see me, but my jaw was wide open hearing that story. Um, just so encouraged. Oh, I just love chatting with you guys. Something I know and, and I love about you guys is your deep commitment to prayer um, and just seeking God's heart for people or for a place and letting that love uh, that God puts in your heart for people to guide your every step. We actually have the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church coming up on November 5th. And there's going to be people all over the world stopping to pray for our persecuted family uh, in places like Central Asia and Turkey. But some of them, um, uh, you know, for some of the people that are going to be praying with us on that day, the people and the issues feel so far away. And I know for me, it can be hard to believe that our prayers actually matter. From what you've seen in your travels, um, these incredible stories that are coming through, um, and I'm sure you have so many more that you didn't even have the time to share, what impact does prayer really have on the global church and on our persecuted family that you guys met? Yeah, I think prayer is the way for us to connect to the global church and with brothers and sisters in our own country, brothers and sisters around the world who we may never actually get to set foot in their country and to pray for believers in pain, but also those who are in persecution, in suffering, 
and even those who are not yet in our family, those who actually haven't come to faith yet. And I think for individuals in, like you said, Turkey and Central Asia, um, especially those who aren't Christians, when they would hear that people in Australia and New Zealand were praying for them, they were blown away that someone on the other side of the world would stop and take the time to, like you said, to see them. Just like God is Alroy, the one who sees us. We, as a body of Christ, get the opportunity to partner with God in that and also see our brothers and sisters and and even see those who haven't come to know him yet. And, and we can do that through prayer. And I think um, even with the organizations we we're working with on the ground, prayer was a huge uh, aspect of the ministry that we did. Foundation. Yeah, huge foundation. And um, I actually remember hearing a story in Turkey from one of the girls who came every single day uh, that we were on a house visit and um, she asked those visiting to pray for her family and her family who hadn't been to the base said, we heard from others in the community that when someone at the base prays, things actually change. And they were just blown away that when Christians pray, things actually change. And I just think that's an incredible testament of the power of prayer, that even for those who aren't in the body of Christ yet, how much more is it for those who are, that when we pray, things change. And so whether we can see it, whether we... um have any idea even about the political situation or the the heartbeat of what's happening in the church in those countries, we can in faith engage in prayer and know that God is working um, on their behalf and on our behalf. And so, yeah, I encourage you in on International Day of Prayer, step into that space in faith and know that prayer is so powerful, no matter who you are or where you are or what you're praying for, God wants to make things move in the lives of those he loves. Wow, what a <laughs> that's amazing that that the community would know that when some when a Christian prays, things change. And um, I hope everyone listening feels that deep encouragement that when they pray big prayers, um, God moves uh, on those prayers, and that we can actually pray for the impossible because nothing is impossible with God. And so the places that feel the most impossible to follow Jesus, uh, we can pray for those um, and and um, know that um, He can do the impossible, um, and that what seems impossible for man is possible for God. So, guys, if you could pray one scripture uh, over the nation of Turkey, what would it be, and why? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, one of our favourite uh, scriptures, and it was kind of like the banner for us throughout the trip, actually, was in Romans 8. So Romans 8, 37 to 38, which says, No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this really was the scripture that we we clung to and, um, yeah, really do desire to pray over the people of Turkey because uh, we were just so amazed of God's incredible love for the people. You know, when we were there in Turkey, we could just, through meeting other people as well, we could just sense the incredible love 
uh, that we just couldn't even comprehend that God had for the people in Turkey. And it really is our prayer that in their affliction that they would come to know the love of uh, Christ and that um, to actually know, you know, the love that God really does have for them because we know and we see it in the scripture that nothing can separate us from God's love. And that that's that's honestly the prayer that we have for the people in Turkey that as a nation they would come to know God's love and be captured by it and be captivated by it, knowing that nothing can separate them from that. Um, and I know this, you know, seeing the devastation of this earthquake and and the affliction that they're in, but still knowing that, you know, once they understand the love of God, that nothing can separate them from from that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, even like meeting some of the Christians there in Turkey and seeing that they've grasped this concept concept was so encouraging for us, and I'm sure so encouraging for the other, you know, say non-believers there in 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 Turkey that there is there is something greater. Um, and something uh, that they can um, actually come to really, uh, yeah, know that is so much bigger than, say, this earthquake. Wow, that's so beautiful. Would you guys pray that? Would you pray that uh, for our family in Turkey um, as they continue to recover from the earthquake? Would you pray for us too? Um, that that we would know <laughs> that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God and that we would feel that um, achy kind of love for the, the global church, um, for our body, especially as we join together um, for the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Um, would you guys pray uh, for, for, for us and, and for them? Yeah, definitely. We'd love to. Yeah, well, Jesus, we, we do thank you for this time today, God. I thank you that, yeah, as that scripture says, there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from your love. And Father, I thank you that that scripture is as real in the epicenter of the earthquake zone in Turkey. It's as real in the the places in Paris where people have never even heard the gospel in Central Asia, where People are stuck in a melting pot of just everything that's happening there. And it's as real for us in Australia who are following you. God, I thank you that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. Father, I just pray that for especially those in Turkey at this time who are continuing to navigate what their life looks like now that everything's been turned upside down. Father, would they feel that that peace of your presence? Would they encounter the hope that comes from knowing a God who doesn't come to bring death, but comes to bring life? And Father, I pray for us, especially that we would not become um, comfortable or familiar with that love. Even though we hear about it every Sunday at church and throughout the week as we read it in our scripture, God, would it never become a thing of familiarity for us? but would we forever be falling more in love and understanding deeper the power of the love of Christ to this body? Father, I thank you that as we learn to love from you, that you call us to love one another and that love can be in really practical ways, but it also can be in the quiet of praying in our hearts or in our prayer closets. And Jesus, I just pray that as as we know you, as we know that love, that it would compel us to love those around us, Jesus. 
those in our neighborhood and on our street, but also those in um, yeah, in the midst of the darkness that are being a light, God, would we would we not forget the cost that they pay and would we hold hands with them and journey with them in that place of prayer to see that light continue to grow and shine and for people to be impacted by you. God, I just thank you that you continue to speak in the places that are most closed. You continue to push down those walls of opposition and make your love so known in those countries. And Father, I pray that, yeah, for each of us, we would be encouraged to to look for those opportunities to listen to that love and the voice of your spirit um, and be impacted and compelled to love those around us in, in the same spirit, God. Um, yeah, thank you for this time today. And I pray that the words that have been spoken, your words, God, the things that you've wanted to sow into our hearts would not fall away, but would be deeply rooted and spring up to a wellspring of life for us all, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh my goodness, you guys, I have loved this conversation. I am um, challenged <laughs> to pray and <laughs> to remember to pray. I'm, I feel connected to um, Central Asia and to Turkey um, and to these places that, uh, you know, are geographically far away, but, um, but we're connected to because of the body of Christ. I feel inspired that there's so much more than my day-to-day life, that God is moving in um, incredible ways and, um, and that he invites us to be a part of it. I'm just so grateful for you guys um, and for the boldness that you guys had to buy that one-way ticket and for where it led you and for your adventure um, uh, to come as you head back to France next year um, to be part of um, starting a YWAM base in um, Marseille in France. You guys are incredible humans. I'm lucky to call you my friends. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, Thank you for encouraging us all. And um, yeah, I pray that you feel encouraged as well, um, that as you follow Jesus and you follow his heart um, for people, that he's just going to continue opening profound doors um, for the gospel in ways that um yeah are beyond what we could ever ask for or imagine so thank you so much you guys um we love you so much thank you for joining us on the whole story this podcast is brought to you by the ministry of open doors strengthening believers who suffer for their faith around the world we pray this episode brought you closer to your brothers and sisters who follow jesus around the world for more info and for the latest updates from the field head to our website, opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you again next time.